Good morning and welcome back for our final Anchored in the Word Morning Reflection for this week. And as we go into the weekend, um, I'm going to put together a video here where we have a lot to, to discuss and think about. And um, I'm going to put in more content probably in this episode than a typical episode. And because of that, I'm not going to read the whole section, um, but I'm just going to focus in on one verse and then I'd like to, to just put it all together in our final thoughts. So as we look at this passage, he says in verse 45, he says, Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying, Thou reproachest us also. He said, Woe unto you, lawyers! Ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burden with one of your fingers. And then he says in verse 52, Woe unto you, lawyers! You take away the key of knowledge, and enter not in yourself, and them that were entering in ye hindered. I think those two verses really encapsulate this entire piece. He basically says, you are putting on people burdens that they cannot bear, and in the process, you are taking away their access to the truth. And you're ultimately leaving them in a far worse place than they were before. Now, we talked about the issue of authority, and we talked about the issue of identity and practice and passion. And what I want to do is I'd like to put this together in some really practical thoughts. And what we're going to do is look at four principles in our, in our final thoughts that are, are part of this text that we're dealing with. So first of all, under authority, the principle is this. The scripture has to be our final authority. Uh, the reformers called it sola scriptura, the scriptures alone. Or we talk about the sufficiency of scripture, meaning we believe that the scriptures alone are sufficient to shape our thinking in all areas of faith and practice. And so those uh, statements are built on passages like 2 Timothy 3 and first, or 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me read to you what it says so that you can kind of get a sense of how serious and how important these issues are. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, All scripture given by inspiration of God. Every word of scripture is God-breathed. Okay? And he says that it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And then in 2 Peter 1, <clears throat> verses 16 to 21, Peter takes that concept of every word of scripture is breathed out by God, and he expands it by explaining some of the nature of it. He says, we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. No prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to contrast two doctrinal statements on Scripture so that you can see how one is, is, is really a flawed view of Scripture and the other is a very thoroughly biblical view of Scripture. And the first one is uh, from the United Methodist official statement on Scripture. And this denomination represents approximately 12 million people in the United States and several tens of thousands of congregations. Listen to what their statement says. 
It says, as we open our mind and heart to the word of God through the words of human beings inspired by the Holy Spirit, fascinating statement, not a biblical one, but a fascinating one. We properly read scripture within the believing community informed by the tradition of that community. Again, a fascinating statement and very much an unbiblical statement. While we acknowledge the primacy of scripture in theological reflection, our attempts to grasp its meaning always involve tradition, experience, and reason. Question, does that statement sound like someone's affirming the final authority of scripture, the sufficiency of scripture? The answer is no. And unfortunately, a lot of what we would call evangelical Christianity, specifically on the more progressive leaning side of the evangelical world would really have this kind of a view of scripture. I want to contrast this with the London Baptist Confession, which is an historic statement of faith um, that was written in 1689. This is the confession of faith that Charles Spurgeon would have most likely affirmed. And, and I mean, he, he did affirm the London Baptist Confession. Here's what it says. The Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Wow, what a great statement. The authority of Scripture for which it ought to be believed depends upon the testimony, uh, depends not, sorry, that's a very important word, depends not on the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scriptures, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or the traditions of men. The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, opinions, or of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined is in the sentence that we rest that can only be no other than the Holy Scriptures delivered by the Spirit. Now, the contrast between those two statements could not be greater. And the second is a thoroughly, a robust biblical understanding of this issue. And the simple fact is that the scriptures are sufficient and they are the final authority. And if we begin to compromise on this issue of authority, everything else is built upon and tied back to the authority of scripture. We cannot play games in this issue. The second principle is that our identity must be firmly rooted in Christ alone. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2, ye are complete in him. Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. Not our feelings, not our own righteousness, not our own internal desires. It's the design of God. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's the redemptive work of Christ. This is where our identity has to lie exclusively. The third principle, our lives must be a distinctly Christian life, not just moral, a morality, but Christian. And it's all about the cause of the practice. 
The cause has to be the gospel. We are living in the light of the gospel, not living to conform to Jesus's rules or the laws of the Old Testament. We are living in a, a life that flows out of genuine life in Christ. And we see this concept in passages like Colossians 3.1. He says, if you then are risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above. Ye are dead and your life is hid in Christ. Do you see that word if and the word then? It's because we are in Christ, we are to live consistent with the position that we have in Christ. Or even Philippians 2 verses 1 to 3, he says, if therefore there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, then you are to fulfill my joy. He's talking about position being prerequisite for practice. And so it's not about us being simply moralistic people, but being thoroughly Christian in the way that we live. We're not simply being a conscientious people, but a thoroughly Christian people. Not simply diligent and hardworking and industrious, but walking in singleness of heart fearing God. Not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. That's the sense of principle three. And then principle four, our lives must be consumed with a passion for God's glory, not our own glory. Colossians 3.1, or 3.17, sorry. Whatsoever therefore you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.22, servants, obey in all things your masters in the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. We need to be consumed with a passion for the glory of God, not our own. And so that means we'll be obedient to the word, embracing the purpose that he has for us, and ultimately submitting to the timetable that God has chosen for us. So I ask this simple question as we go into the weekend. Where does our final authority lie? Is our identity rooted firmly in Christ? Do we live in a way that is distinctly Christian? And are we consumed with a passion for God's glory, not our own? As I read back through Luke chapter 11, I really believe that that is what Christ is ultimately emphasizing. Their practice and the problems with it fundamentally were a result of a dead faith, a facade. May God help us to be a people who live lives that are entirely shaped by the, the work of the gospel in our lives, how it transforms us because it gives us not only a position and forgiveness, but new life. May God help us to walk in the light of the gospel today. Have a good weekend, and Lord willing, we'll see many of you on Sunday. Bye now.